to us, what it signifies is that you believe in what the mission is here at the chapel. And so we're not focused on a dollar amount or a percentage. We're focused on hearts that are just committed to the gospel of Jesus. So thank you for, for that. Now that being said, um, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Um, I, I, am a, I have been a Christian since I was about 12 years old. Um, I've been a faithful Christian <laughs> probably since I was about 25 years old and a minister for as long as well. So I'm going on ministry uh, 13 years now. Um, 12 years, sorry, 12 years. Started in 2000, no, 2004, so 13 years. Um, in those years, a couple of decades, one of the most awkward things is still getting invited to church. Can anybody agree with that? Now you, might, you guys are at church, so I'm kind of preaching to the choir, like almost literally. But have you ever asked somebody to come to church and it's like, oh my gosh, I have to find some way to disappear instantly. Like it becomes the most awkward situation and it's not because you've said anything wrong or it's not because church is a bad thing. It just, for some people who have been away from the church or have a misunderstanding of the church and Jesus, um, they don't know what to do or say. And honestly, what they'd like to say is no, <laughs> um, but they don't want to hurt feelings and they don't want to, you know, what are they saying? If they don't want to go to church, they don't want to be with Jesus. I mean, it's all these things happening. And so inviting people to church becomes this very awkward thing. And I was thinking about that this week and I thought, but why is that? My kids couldn't come to church today. They were devastated. They love church. They, they don't love church because I make them go. They don't love church because I'm, I'm, I'm cramming church down their throat. They come to this place and they love you people. They love seeing their friends. They love, they love the activities that they're going to do in kids' church. They, they just love being here and hearing the word of God. In my office, I have um, Ethan's, uh, one of his first at attempts at note-taking. And uh, it was on this little sheet of, uh, of paper from like a journal. And so I ripped it out and, and I have it framed in my office because he wasn't just, you know, here because dad was here. It was a Wednesday night and he chose to come with me and he decided to stay in the sanctuary and listen along and take notes all, all on his own, uh, on his own, out of his own interest. And so I have to believe that we've done something wrong if uh, we as a church have, uh, and I mean globally as a church, have done something to make church seem less appealing than it should be. Now, I get one point. One point, people don't want to be told what to do and what not to do. And I could see how some people would shy away from that. Most people don't like to be told what to do, even when what they're being told to do is good for them. But the truth of the matter is that God created the church, established the church to be this gathering of believers that would glorify him. And if we aren't doing that, we aren't accomplishing the highest function and purpose of the church. Um, there, is, there is a fine line here, a fine line between trying to market the church, which we were never called to do, and neglecting those who are not believers because they are not yet part of the church. And so we kind of become this inclusive kind of bubble. We have to walk this line where we are reaching out to people who do not come to church or go to church while at the same time uh, creating an environment that glorifies Jesus, where we, we, we do share our faith with others in a non-car salesman-y type of way. So Hebrews 10 and 25, and I'm starting in the middle of a thought and we're gonna get back to it in a second or middle of a verse. Um, it, it's kind of a, a sentence that's split in half and I'm doing that intentionally. We'll come back to that. 
It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. Um, the book of Hebrews is good. The, the verse we just read is good. It is inerrant. It is infallible, Lord. And we, sh- we choose to adapt to it rather than shape it or mold it in our image. We want to be shaped and molded in your image. Holy Spirit, reach the parts of our heart that, that we uh, keep to ourselves that no one else enters into. And may you be glorified in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, there's a lot of bad cliches about going or attending church. If you've ever talked to anybody, and you always hear these from the folks who don't go to church. Well, I don't have to go to church to worship Jesus or to worship God. I don't, I don't have to go. I can watch church on TV. I can do this. I can watch it live stream. We're live streaming it now on Facebook for people who are, are sick or live out of state so they can watch. And those statements aren't untrue, but they're always stated by those who refuse to go to church. People who do not, or people who do go to church, I never find them saying those types of things because they have found that joining into a local body of Christ is essential to surviving as a Christian. That there, there is something that cannot be received through, uh, through a screen or through a, a blog or through a broadcast. There, there must be this gathering of the saints, the gathering of the brethren, the writer of Hebrews says, that we cannot neglect. Now, where we might fall into uh, disagreement as Christians is when and how we should gather for church. Um, if you grew up in um, maybe the Seventh-day Adventist strain of uh, Christianity, uh, maybe it was very important for you to worship on Saturday rather than Sunday. Um, if you grew up, uh, I know you, I've dro- driven through Syracuse and seen churches that have 9 a.m. classic service and 10.30 a.m. contemporary service because they have this divide, if you will, between the people and how church should be run and what they're more comfortable with. And so in the traditional service, uh, probably more, more hymns are sung. It's, it's much more like it probably was uh, a few decades ago. And then contemporary probably has electric guitars and drums and more contemporary songs. And the worship leader probably has a faux hawk and just things like that. It's probably more contemporary. I, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, but my point is this. There's this, this even within some churches, there's this disunity uh, as to how church should be run. You know, for some, uh, we, it was a big deal this year whether or not to have church on Christmas Day, on Sunday. And there were churches that set up their services to do them on Saturday before so that people could spend family with, or spend time with their family on Sunday. Then there was us who we thought, well, what better day to have church than on Christmas Day on Sunday? So we thought it kind of all went together. Here's the thing. All of these are right and all of these are wrong. What I mean is, is as the Lord leads us in these things, these are open-handed issues. When and where and how we have church. There is no biblical mandate you must worship on this particular day. We worship on Sundays because that's the day that the Lord was risen traditionally. So we just, the church just started gathering on that day. As we, I spoke to you earlier about midweek services, there's no uh, biblical mandate to have a service on Wednesday or a Tuesday or a Thursday. We do so to keep feeding and discipling Christians. It's, it's something we get to do, not necessarily something we have to do. Although if you ask me, it is something that we need to survive. When I don't have a midweek service, it's like I haven't been to church in a year. It's like, wow, it's, it's been seven days since I've been to church. 
I need to, I, I haven't seen these people in a really, it seems like a really long time. The writer of the book of Hebrews is not just telling us, hey, don't miss church. He's saying there's something important about like-minded people getting together focused on the same thing or focused on the same person, I should say. And don't just forsake it. That same word that when, when Jesus promises not to leave us nor forsake us, to leave us or forget us or to abandon us. It's that same mentality. Don't leave or forget or forsake. Abandon the gathering of the brethren. Now let's read that contextually. What is the writer saying in the big thought? Because so much bad theology is rooted in taking one verse out of context and then molding and shaping it into whatever that person's agenda might be. Um, you know, men like Hitler and, and, and dictators have gone and said, you know, the Bible says this, and because they've gone in with an agenda, they have found a way to weave together verses, taking them out of context to justify their theology. And so we as Christians, we, we do the backwards of that. We come to the Bible and we allow the Bible to set our agenda or our motives or our, our directives. We don't, we don't tell the word what to do. We allow the word to shape us and mold us. And most people don't like the word because like I said earlier, it tells us what not to do and we don't like that. And so people will say, well, they try to pick apart the Bible and instead of just saying, no, I don't like that, they try to say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. No, it really does. And uh, we're gonna talk about the authority and the authenticity of the Bible in the coming weeks. But today we're talking about the church. In context, the writer of Hebrews in verse 19 says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here's our verse. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In this verse, in these verses, all kinds of Old Testament Jewish imagery, the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes the Old Testament, I think more than any other New Testament gospel writer or New Testament writer. Um, although we don't know who wrote it, some speculate it was Paul, some speculate it may have been Barnabas or Apollos who are mentioned in the book of Acts. Whoever it was, uh, knew Jewish customs and traditions and was writing to that audience with that knowledge and wisdom being sprinkled with, uh, what's it say? Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Um, we, would, we would conjure up images of baptism and that's a good thing. But in the, the Old Testament Jewish tradition, there was something called a mikvah. The mikvah was a body of water, could be man-made, could be out in the open. Uh, it was a place of, of ceremonial cleansing. And so the folks will go in there. So when, when the writer of Hebrews writes that, he's pointing to that imagery saying, look, you know, see how you've been, you've been, how that's like a physical cleansing. We've had so much more through Jesus. He says, we now enter in through the curtain. That is the, that, that is his flesh. The Bible says that when Jesus was sacrificed, that the, that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn in two. The word used there is the word schizo. It's the same word we use for schizophrenia. Broken, separated, uh, torn from top to bottom. This was a thick, glorious, 
amazingly, intricately made curtain that was ripped in half, symbolizing that we could now have access to the Holy of Holies. And Paul, uh, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews says that that curtain, there's a better curtain, that better curtain is Jesus. Someday I'm gonna have a sermon called The Better Curtain is Jesus. And that better curtain, that flesh, we enter now through Jesus into this, uh, this holy of holy places and that holy of holy places, uh, it, it contains us, the believers, the Christians. And he says that we gather together so that we can stir each other to good works. It's, it's very similar to how uh, a bull rider will use his spurs to kind of dig into the bull to make it kick. We are called to do that as the church, not to literally put on spurs and kick each other, but to, to challenge each other. To, to call us each other into account when we are in sin or folly. When we've, uh, you know, when somebody is doing something that they know is sin, to call them out on that in the most loving, kind, compassionate way, private, you know, in a conversation over coffee. But no, what I think what you're doing, I think you're going against the will of God. I think we need to talk about this. And it might be outlined directly in the word, it might be something that maybe it's not directly outlined, but the principle is there. And so now it's our opportunity and our, our, really our privilege to call people out on that. Not because we're witch hunters or we're looking to find somebody like, oh, here's some fault. Yeah, let's go, let's go run and get after them. No, it's just, you, you run into those folks and like, yeah, I, I think there's many ways to get to heaven or there's many ways to get to God or, or, or I don't think God should have a, 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 a specific gender labeled to him or I don't think that the virgin birth is all that important or I don't think that church is all that important or I think I could commit this sin and still live a faithful life to Christ. I'll, I'll tell you this, you can sin and God will still forgive you but you cannot willfully continue in sin and live a life that is Christ-like and one that is profitable for you and your family. Eventually, it will, now, now will you lose your salvation? No, I don't believe you'll lose your salvation. Uh, I, would, I would question whether or not there is salvation if you would so openly walk in sin without allowing uh, other like-minded Christians to, to correct you and even offer rebuke in love and in kindness and all that. But the point is this, the, the gathering of the brethren is more than just getting together for a Bible study. It's getting together like a family gets together. And if you guys get together with your family, if it's anything like mine, I gotta be careful because my family comes to this church. Um, <laughs> sometimes sparks fly, right? The book of Proverbs talks about as, as, as iron sharpens iron. It's this great metaphor of how, how two men or, or two people really, men or women, how they get together and, 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 and they sharpen each other. Sparks fly, but man, they get stronger. Some of my best memories are getting together with Christians whom I've respected, leaders and pastors, and, and, and they just allow me to ask any question I'd like. And, they, and they, they, they answer it without cliche, without just pat answers. They, they literally get into it and maybe even say, I don't know. One of the things um, about Kristen and Justin's uh, papa, their grandfather, one of the things I loved about it, I didn't get to know him very well. I've only known him for the last couple of years. But once he started seeking the Lord, he, I'd come over and uh, because he was hearing impaired, uh, he had to sign and he could vocalize some words, but he would just ask all of these questions. He, and don't take any offense, he asked way better questions than you guys. He asked me questions and he was not afraid 
of what I was going to say, and he was not afraid to ask questions that some of us are just like, I don't think I can ask that in church. I can't ask, I can't ask the pastor that. What will people think? He didn't care. And what he did was, as iron sharpens iron, he had, I had to be ready. It's like, I had to go, okay, <laughs> am I ready to go in here and, and face Don's questions? And we would just, I, I would just love that. And so, as Christians, we come to these disagreements and we need to be able to talk to one another without dividing. We have to, at some point, you know, sometimes there are situations where we're both right. And we just walk away, you know, we're both pretty, we're all gonna, we're all gonna live, and, and it's not that anybody's right or wrong, we just have a disagreement and that's okay. Now, when it comes to theologically correct things, meaning things that the word says and we cannot bend or break on, at some point, we've gotta go back to the word to find out what does the word say? Because when the Bible speaks of unity, it's not just unity for the sake of unity. It's united by the same person, Jesus Christ. As the church, we are now bound to other people all around the world, not because of what we believe or, or whether or not what we believe is correct, but by what the word of God says. The Greek word uh, for church is ecclesia. Another cliche, well, the word church is never mentioned in the Bible. Well, yes and no. You can make that claim with a lot of things. and That doesn't make it true or untrue. You know, um, the word ecclesia is gathering. Well, the church is more than a building. Yes, but it's really convenient to have a building where you can gather and, and have a sound system and a speaker and a microphone and where you can have coffee and there's bathrooms. I mean, there's a really huge benefit to having a bathroom <laughs> wherever you're going to have church, right? So, you know, do you have to have walls? No, we've had church in the Muir's backyard. We've had church uh, wherever we can. You don't have to have this building, but ultimately it's this gathering of like-minded Christians coming together. Jesus uh, used that word first. It was a word that was already existent in uh, the modern day Greek, but in, uh, where is it? I'll get ahead of myself. I'll get there in a second. The Bible says that we are, as the church, we are the body of Christ. He's the head, so he's in charge. He has the vision. He has the direction. He's the one who speaks, but we are the body. And so now today, some of us are the elbow of Christ. Some of us are the, the shoulders of Christ, the feet of Christ, the hand of Christ. We all together make up the body, and that's not just South Bay, but that's all the churches in our state, country, and worldwide. All of us come together. We are the body of Christ, and, and the word says that we can't all be hands. We can't all be feet. We can't all be knees or shoulders. We all have to do our part, and as we do our part, the body of Christ is healthy, but as, as people shrink back and, and don't step up to that responsibility to be part of the church, the rest of us have to compensate, if you've ever injured your foot or your hand and had to compensate for that, it makes the rest of your body have to work a little bit harder. If you hurt your back, everything else suffers, right? If you hurt your, you know, you break a foot, everything in your body, you know, you might be using crutches, so now your arms and shoulders and hands, they all have to work harder because one of your limbs, one of your members is not working correctly or it's, it's injured. And so when that happens in the church, we, we as a church, we walk with a limp. So the body of Christ depends on us. Now, it's not vitally depending on us, meaning if you don't do your part, then the whole church just goes down in flames. But as you are called to a church or to a place of worship, a gathering of the brethren, everybody has a part, everybody has a thing to do. 1 Corinthians 12 and 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul is pointing out that everybody has a different function. Not everybody's going to perform miracles. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. Not everybody is going to be able to interpret those tongues. Not everybody's going to be able to heal or be used in healing somebody else. Just in the same way that not everybody is a prophet or an apostle or a teacher or a pastor. That there are people who are given gifts. God knows who to give them to. He does so because he, you know, knows a lot more than we do. And you can seek those higher gifts, but the ones you are given are the ones you are given. And if you aren't given specific gifts, then those aren't your gifts. And that's okay. That's a good thing to operate within the gifts that God has given you. Not to try to put them on or pretend that they exist. It's like saying, yes, I got a bike for Christmas. No, you didn't. You got a skateboard. Yeah, but I really wanted a bike. So I'm going to pretend I have a bike. That's pretending. That's not really the same thing. Well, I have the gift of tongues. You don't speak in tongues. Yeah, but I have it. No, no, you don't. I have the gift of healing. No, well, did you have, has anybody ever been healed when you prayed? No, but then maybe that's not your gift. Now, there are people who have these gifts and they use them and God is glorified and people are healed and, and people, there are people who speak in tongues and there are people that interpret those tongues. And I've spoken to people where that's happened and the first person's like, I don't know what I said. And the second person's like, I just, I knew what they were saying and God gave me the, the words to interpret what was said. And so if you don't have some of these gifts, this is a side note, that's okay. We don't, we don't have like this classism here at the church where if you do specific gifts, you're higher up on the chart. Everybody's on the same flat surface. And if you got that gift, awesome. You know what I think is a really good gift? Administration. I don't have that gift at all. I don't even pretend. Like, I, I'm struggling with what I have to do this week. I'm like, well, what do I do? I, I need to write something down. I tell my wife, she has an amazing gift of administration. Tony, you're going to do this, 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 and this. Okay, but I, I want to I wanna go here. No, you don't have time for that because of this, this, and this. Uh, okay. It's just not my gift. Maybe you guys have a gift like that and you should flourish in it. You know, there are those who have that gift and there's those who don't, and you guys who have it, you can't stand us that don't <laughs> because we just fly by the seat of our pants and we're okay with that. And you're like, no, we got a plan. We got to make sure everything's in order. And you're like, no, I'm just going to go watch TV and get to that later. That's neither here nor there. That being said, so when I talk about the church, I often use this, this terminology, the big C church and the little C church. We at South Bay, we're the little C church. Like when you're talking about the church, us and, and you know, the church across the way and the one in, in town, we're the little C churches, but collectively we make up the big C church. We all have a part, we all have a, a place within the kingdom of God as we have become children of God. And we did, became children of God when we gave our life to Jesus. We weren't inherently children of God, we became children of God uh, when we placed our faith in his sacrifice. And so this this uh, little C church or big C church, whichever you're looking at, is bigger than race and gender and creed and color and language. It cannot be limited by walls. I love, uh, I've seen churches where they have a baptism built into their church. Have you guys ever seen that? Where it's like behind the, the screen and, and there's like a jacuzzi tub back there. I think that's awesome. I've also seen churches where they go and all they have is a 55 gallon drum of water and they're gonna dunk people inside of that. And I think by the time they get to the last person, there's probably not much water left. But to say one is the church and one is the other would be foolish. They are both doing the same thing. Looks different, feels different. We might prefer one to the other, 
But the truth is we're all the church in that. Both of those are the church. Well, I think a pastor should dress in a suit and I think this and I think that. Well, you might have that opinion, but we have the liberty to pursue Christ as we feel fit. Um, meaning in these open-handed issues. Well, I think there's another way to Christ. No, that, we don't get to have our feelings in that. There's a truth to that that we cannot waver from. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves you individually. And I don't want to minimize that, but he also loves us collectively. In the same way you moms and dads, you love your kids individually, but you love them together as well. You love them as a unit. You love your family as a group. Jesus loves his church. Whenever I do a wedding, I always share this verse. Husbands, listen up if you haven't heard this before. Ephesians 5 and 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul says, you see how, you see how uh, Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church? That is, husbands, that's how you're supposed to love your wives. But my wife's unlovable. Paul doesn't say anything about that. Paul says, your job, husbands. And why am I picking on husbands? I don't know, because I'm a husband, I guess. <laughs> I love the nervous giggling. Um, Paul says, that's your mark. That's your standard. When you think to yourself, how am I supposed to love my wife? Well, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And he, gave, he died for his bride. And men, how many of you, when you're arguing with your wife, when, when she is acting unlovable, you think to yourself, well, I'll just die to myself right now. We don't. It's not our default position. But through the Holy Spirit, it can be. The word has convicted us and challenged us to do so. Paul goes on to say that marriage is this tiny glimpse or glimmer of what the kingdom of God is really like. That husbands and, and wives, you have your responsibilities too. Don't go home and think that you're off the hook here. I'll get to you guys later sometime and it'll be glorious. But, but know this, that there is, there is a purpose to marriage that goes beyond just two, women, two people, not two women, two people getting together, a man and a wife, to not just to have babies, not just to further the population, but it's to glorify, to exemplify the body of Christ and its union with its, its maker and creator and that Jesus loves his church so much. Jesus loves his church so much and here is something that to me is incredibly liberating and when I read this, I was reminded because I had forgotten. And I love this verse. Jesus builds his church. Um, for some, if you're not growing in number, you're not being successful. I, I agree that there is some measure of success to be found in whether or not there are more people at church than when you first started. But there's, to me, it's equally important, maybe even more so important, that people within the church grow themselves, meaning, meaning they mature and become disciples. So if we're just a collection of people, but we don't know Jesus and we're not growing and we're not giving and we're not loving and we're not serving, we're just kind of multiplying the same error over and over again. Now, I'd love to see this church packed to the rafters, but... I don't want to see it packed with people who have no heart for Christ and have no heart for his people. Jesus builds his church. Matthew 16 and 13. Turn there. And as you turn there, um, it's important to know that Jesus builds his church because there are things that we do here at the church. We would call them outreach. Our men's group, our women's group. Um, the, the women have like a, a, a women's worship night every quarter or so or every other month. Um, there are things that we do to reach out to the community, 
But there's, there's, this, there's always this hidden danger to trust in the gimmick or to trust in the scheme rather in, uh, to trust in Jesus who's the one doing the building. So for us as we do, the, let's all just use the men's group again because I'm a man. For me, when we go into that and Justin, uh, the leader of that, as we go into that, it's not about, well, this, this time will work because we've done this, this, and this. It's, it's no, Jesus will build his church and because Jesus will build his church, we'll create this opportunity to go and meet together, to grow as disciples, to talk about stuff that we don't get to talk about with each other normally, motorcycles and essential oils and things like that. Just tons of stuff that we'll talk about. We'll eat food that we probably shouldn't eat and just have a, a lot of fun. And we'll allow the Lord to grow the church we won't go out and try to grow the church by schemes and gimmicks. Matthew 16 and 13 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Uh, I t- and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, you shall bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, this is... I'm going to tread lightly here, but boldly. This is one of the most misused scriptures of all the Bible. Um, When we get here, when we're reading this, when Jesus is addressing his disciples, um, some churches will say, well, this this is Jesus saying he's going to build the church on Peter. Um, This is where I think the Catholics get the idea of, of a pope and a lineage of, of, of popes. That's not what's being said. Paul is, or excuse me, Jesus is giving this revelation, if you will, to Peter that he is going to build his church. Peter's going to be intrinsically involved, as will all the disciples, as will, will Paul, who's not in the audience yet, but he'll be used as well. Men like Stephen and, 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 and others will be used to build the church. But the church will be built by Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail. I would say if the gates of hell are prevailing, then maybe it's not the church. Because Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. All the more reason for us to be involved in the church. To be united with others who believe. It's the church that will not be prevailed against. Well, I don't have to go to church. Well, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I would be involved in the church. I would be giving my talents and time and, and treasure to a local body so that I might be part of that force that goes out and brings the good news to our community. The second part that's most often misused is this idea of binding and loosing. And so as I said earlier, when you take just that verse out of there, it's been used for spiritual warfare. This verse has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. You do not have the power to bind or to loose spirits or things in heaven or things on earth. This, and, and how do I know that? Because that's a pretty bold claim because I'm going against some modern theology. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus says this very same thing again within the context of church discipline. Where two or three are gathered and we misuse that verse as well. 
that's where Jesus says, all of that, read it yourself, go back, don't trust me, go back to the word. It's all about church discipline. When somebody stands up and says, well, I think that um, you should give me all of your money and you should make pastors rich, then you guys as a church can bring me into discipline and say, no, no, see, we've all gathered together, we've all prayed and sought and we believe based on the word of God that that is not true or accurate. That word binding and loosing, these are legal terms that are used for what you permit and what you don't permit. We as the church, we have this discipline that we can use within the church, within the church body. And unfortunately, in years past, it has been abused where people get to places of power because they use discipline to keep other, people's de- other people down. That doesn't make the discipline bad, it makes the people bad. But in this, within this context, it is we have the word of God with which to judge what is right and what is wrong. As we come together, if two or three or more agree on the same thing, then the Lord is within that. The Lord is showing people, yes, that is what you should do or what you should not do. In Matthew 18, Jesus, that's where he goes into You know, first, if your brother sins, then go to him, talk to him privately. Then bring some witnesses if that doesn't work and then bring him before the church if that doesn't work. And if that doesn't work, then it's time to part ways. It's time to say, you know what? You have brought in a cancer into the body of Christ and we have to remove you. That is not pleasant. That is not fun. That's why it's the last one. You don't start there. You don't start with bringing somebody before the church and making a spectacle of them crucifying them within the church. No, you start with a friendly, loving, kind conversation. Hey, Joe, hey, Jim, we gotta talk about something. And if that doesn't work because you love that person, then you say, you know what, guys? Do you guys see what I'm talking about? You know, you're not convincing, you're just sharing the situation with tact and candor. And yeah, we, we've noticed the same thing and we've been wanting to say the same thing to Joe, but, but we just didn't know what to say. Well, let's go together and let's go talk to him and, and see and pray and see if we can't reason with him. And that doesn't work. Well, then the church has to get involved. The pastor has to get involved. The, the team has to get involved to figure out, well, what's going on? Is somebody being wrongfully accused of something or is there actually something going on here that's blasphemous or heretical or detrimental to the church? And if that person still refuses at that point, that there's sufficient evidence that the word is is, is showing them to be an error or folly, and if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to back off, then there can be a separation. It's not the goal. It's not what we want. But at the end of the day, when it comes to disunity, unity matters more. And so it is absolutely okay to separate. Now, we live in an age where we separate way too fast. Oh, the church didn't sing five hymns. I'm out of here. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Well, the, the coffee was cold or, or they don't have enough programs. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That's not what we're talking about. You know, this this person keeps having premarital sex and they think that they can do this. Okay, now we have an issue to talk about. Well, they're promoting this or that or this other thing that's anti-biblical. Okay, well, let's talk about it. First, we'll talk about it individually. We're not going to uh, put them on blast as the kids say nowadays. I mean, you're not gonna tell everybody, hey, you hear about Joe? That guy, he's messed up. I'm talking to him next week, but spread the word. We're gonna talk about him in the meantime. We're gonna gossip. That's not what that is. And so we as the church, we have this authority, not because we know what's right, but because of what the word of God says. 
And so it's all the more reason to know what the word says, to, to, to walk lightly and say, you know what, I think the word of God says this. I see you doing the opposite. Let's talk about it. Psalm 127 and 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, it in la- uh, who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, Psalm 127 is very clear. You know, when God's not involved, even if it's successful, it's still a failure. Even if you build the building, if God's not there, then you just have a building. But if you have a building that's filled with Christ, he's, he has ordained that, ordered that, and he is within that, then it's successful. We measure our success not in, in numbers. We keep track of how many people come to church because we want to see what's going on, but we don't measure our success in that. We measure our success in people giving their lives to Christ, living lives that reflect him, those who love others. This past week it has been an emotional roller coaster, and I've seen the church step up uh, individually and collectively, and it's been an awesome thing. We may not be the biggest church in town, but I, I doubt that there's a church that, that is more giving than this one. Um, in spite of our numbers, we still give until it hurts, and even then we give a little bit more. And so I'm very, I'm very uh, as a pastor of this place, I'm very pleased with that. And um, to me, that is the Lord uh, laboring in this house, and our labor is not in vain because the Lord is here. Ultimately, a church must be together and united. And some people get this part confused. They, they get uniformity confused with unity. Unity is being bound together by the same uh, focus. Uniformity is everybody wears the same thing, says the same thing, does the same thing at the same time. We usually call these cults. You know, if you remember uh, back in the 90s, the, these folks who were following the Hale-Bopp Comet. And when they found them, what had happened, they were told they had this leader and uh, they were all gonna commit mass suicide at the same time to catch a ride on, this, on this, um, this comet that went by. And when they found them, these people were all wearing the same shoes and the same clothing. And it was all, it was this extremely radical, dangerous cult that all met their demise, unfortunately, at the same time. Um, you know, if you find two people in the church that like the same stuff, that's cool. If you don't, we don't all have to look the same, work the same job, dress the same, sound the same, use the same verbiage. You know, for me, coming from California, a lot of how I perceive things is just different. I'm a little more laid back, you know. I I'm never surfed a day in my life. Everybody's like, oh, you got this surfer meant to, no I don't I'm not a, I never surfed I hate the water like I don't our beaches were always cold I don't want to go surf out in that just I'll, I'll go eat some tacos and watch tv <laughs> but my point is this we don't all have to be the same we don't all have to like NASCAR you like NASCAR great we don't all have to like football you don't like football awesome you don't like coffee well we still love you but yeah you don't have to love coffee you you know there are these things where we can differ that don't include unity. If we can be united with these differences, I, I think that's where the gates of hell do not prevail to separate us. One of my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer, and uh, he, I, I love him because he's a man who didn't finish high school, and uh, you wouldn't know it to read any of the stuff that he wrote. You would think that uh, he went to seminary and 
had a bunch of doctorates after his name and all this other business. He was just a guy who loved Jesus and was radically transformed by him. He said this uh, in his book, The Pursuit of God. It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be uh, were they to become unity, conscience, and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. In this church, we have, uh, uh, it's crumbling, it's coming down, but, but division. Um, our unity is struggling, it's, 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 it's fledgling, if you will. And there's a mentality, and I've kind of fallen into that trap of, well, we just need to get together more. We need to, we need to become better friends. We need to have a, everybody over for coffee. We need to do this, we need to do that. And uh, like I said, this past week, I, I, I barely had coffee by myself, let alone with anybody else. Um, but the point that A.W. Tozer points out uh, so clearly is that it's not about us drawing closer to each other. We will draw closer to one another as we draw closer to Christ. We are closer to one another when we are all focused on Jesus than we could possibly be. This is how the Lord gets groups of people who do not look like each other, sound like each other, perceive life the same way. This is how he unites them by getting them all focused on Jesus Christ. If you want to grow in this church and grow closer to your brothers and sisters, by all means, go get the coffee, hang out with them, go to their house for dinner. Those are all good things. But draw close to Jesus. Seek him and seek him first and you will watch and see yourself just inherently drawing closer to others because they will be doing the same exact thing. I'm thankful for the relationships we have in this church. They will grow. They will become deeper and more mature as we seek Jesus. As we are tuned to his fork, we will all like those pianos be in the same tune. Now, as a musician, maybe this resonates with me because I've tried to, uh, you know, I've gone from tuning my guitar with a little, uh, with a little tuner, which, which is the standard, and I've tried to tune it as I listen to somebody else's guitar as well. That's never as good. I'm listening, I'm trying to hear that note, but now my, my, it's not up to my, it's not up to this machine standard, it's up to my standard. My, sta- my hearing might be faulty. My hearing may not be as good, so I'm not hearing the note correctly. So now I'm trying to tune and we're almost the same, but we're not really. But you go back to the standard, if both those people are tuned to that same little machine, then they are more united than if they focused on each other. This is how that all plays out in my head. We are called to be the church. We believe that the church is God's body here on earth. We believe that uh, we as the church, we have wisdom and knowledge that can only be attained through the word and through the Holy Spirit of God. There are those outside and we don't, we're not prejudiced against them. We do not look down upon them. We are desperately seeking that they would become a part of us as well that the family of God would just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There is no uh, lack of room for anybody at the table. Everybody is welcome, even to the point where, hey, you disagree with everything we say? Why don't you just come on into the table? Because Jesus is gonna change all that. There are things that I thought when I was younger, Jesus changed my thoughts on those things. He radically changed me, not because I heard some sermon or I heard this or this person, but because he got a hold of me and said, no, 
<laughs> don't do that. Don't do this. Do this and do that. Oh, okay. And I found it in his word and said, oh, okay. And I grew closer to others because I had a standard that was not my own standard. Well, I feel we should do this. Well, let's see if your feelings are rooted in the word of God. If your feelings are rooted in the word of God, it goes beyond feelings. This is the Holy Spirit giving you unction. This is Holy Spirit uh, carrying you, leading you. But if it goes against the word of God, then your feelings must be corrected according to this tuner, to this fork, not your own. We believe that for every person who calls in the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has not been put to shame, that they are a part of the body of Christ. They are all children of God. They are part of the, the church family. And that we might have different functions and positions, might have different levels of responsibility. We might be called into account for more when we stand before Christ, but all of us equally have a place at the table of Jesus. If you read Psalm 23, and I'll read that right now. Many of you have it memorized. I do not. So if you do not have it memorized, you're okay. Um, I went to a funeral this week, and I don't know how many believers were there, but they read the 23rd Psalm, and I'm like, the Lord is my shepherd. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, but all these other people knew it. I'm like, wow. Like, that's, I should probably know that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here's the part I wanted to emphasize. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord has prepared this table for us to come to. Jesus uses a parable of, of this wedding feast where people just aren't showing up. As he goes out into the street, finds people to just, just bring him in. There's still room. We'll bring in more people. Eventually, he closes the gates. He goes, all right, we're done. Everybody's here. People who were invited didn't show up. Got more people off the street, let's have a celebration. Everybody has the opportunity through faith in Christ to come to the table of the Lord, to, to sit, to use an old phrase, to sit and sup with him, to, to, to enjoy his presence, to hear from him directly through his word. And we believe that the church is the only place on earth where you get that. And your church might be in someone's living room, might be out in a field, might be in a shopping center, might be in a building, might be on a Saturday, might be on a Sunday, might be five of you, might be 5,000 of you. But we believe that is the church. We believe that the church was bought and paid for by Jesus. That today we gather and we unite, not because we all decided to go to the same place, but because Jesus has drawn us all in together. And as we focus on him, we go out and we show the light of Jesus. Let's pray. We're gonna take some, some questions in just a little bit, but let's pray together. Let's pray that we are focused on the same thing this year and watch in 2017, watch our church grow in numbers, but mostly in discipleship and, and, and faithfulness towards Christ so that we see things done here that we've never seen done before. I am, I am anxiously and hopefully awaiting these things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. You have created this church and you have died for this church and you have given us the privilege to come together, 
to be called the church, to be able to even say that, Lord, to me, it makes me tremble that, that we could say, yes, I am the church. Lord God, of all the division and disunity that we find, help us to start here and be united. But not through methods to make us united and not through uh, just programs and things like that, but to be united because we are all focused on the same person, Jesus Christ. Whether we differ in every other thing, Lord, may we be united and the same on our pursuit and our vision of Jesus. We have all, as far as I know, decided to follow you. And I'll be the first to admit, when I, when I made that decision, I didn't know all that it would include. I signed up for things that I didn't know were going to happen. I signed up for things that I didn't know that you would do or could do. But nevertheless, Lord, at this point, I, I commit myself to you and to the church. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus on you. That Jesus Christ's name might be high and lifted up. Like the serpent was raised up on the pole, you have been raised up on the cross so that all that look onto you can be healed, can be saved, can be changed. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but for all of eternity that we anxiously await in the best possible way. Not fearfully, not scared, but, but we, we anticipate your return and, and we welcome it, Lord. Even so, Lord, come. Even so, we echo the words of the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Jesus, help us to go out and to share the gospel with as many as we can. That we'd share it, Lord, and there'd be ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of the preconceived notions would do exactly what your word says. They will be used for your good that there would be questions that are asked, that we would be challenged in our faith, not, not to change our faith, but to question what we truly believe and, and what the word actually says, to be able to answer questions when people ask us. We, we know, Lord, you will give us the words to say, and we trust you. May South Bay Chapel be a light in a dark place. May we as Christians be light in dark places, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Man, 12 o'clock on the nose. That is amazing. I didn't even plan that. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad.